Doing a daily Bible devotional has been the best thing that I've done for myself. My time in the Old Testament only proves to me again and again and again that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. When I'm reading the New Testament, I read it within the context of when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the New Testament is just an expansion of one of those two thoughts. Those are the two lenses through which I think with my mouth open as I read through the Old and New Testaments. Join me, won't you, for another adventure in Coffee, the Bible, and Page. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another fabulous day in the Lord's neighborhood and welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. I'm Page, your caffeine-imbued host. Here's my coffee. Mm. In the beginning, coffee. And lo, it was very, very, very good. Now, today we're going to finish up the story of Samson. And... Um, I've had all weekend to think about this story. And it is one of the saddest stories in the Bible that I can think of. And I spent all weekend thinking about application. How does this apply to Paige? How does this, um, what lessons can I draw from this to add to my life? Because, you know, as I'm doing these devotionals, the reason I do these devotionals is one, um, I want a, a general acquaintance with the Bible, overall acquaintance with the Bible, better than I had before. But I want to learn something about God. I want to learn something about me. And I struggled with how I could do that with Samson. And I think I've come across something. I'll just read the chapter first with a couple, make a couple comments. And then when we get to the end, I'll see if I can make my point. Because the story of Samson could be the story of any one of us. All right, let's get started. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. Already. You know, Samson possessed physical strength, yeah, but he lacked moral strength, which ultimately led to his ruin. He had a major area of weakness in his life. Two, actually. One was an arrogance and an overconfidence in his own abilities. Two was he had a lifestyle that he indulged in, which ended up ensnaring him, and that would be women. The people of Gaza were told, Samson's here. So they surrounded the place where he was with the prostitute, and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Now the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. 
Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. A huge amount of money, by the way. First of all, let's go back up here to verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the Valley of Stone. You know, he fell in love with, with Delilah. Um, and we're going to find out that Delilah was a woman that he definitely should have stayed away from. But apparently, Samson has a predilection towards women of the Philistine culture. Now, I don't know why he couldn't find a woman from his own people that would be suitable to him, but it seems like he's drawn again and again and again to the Philistine culture. So, he finds Delilah. And the Philistines said, look, um, show us a secret of his great strength. Get him to tell you what it is, and uh, we'll take care of him. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. And with men hidden in the room, she called out to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. All right. One thing here. Samson, are you so stinking blind that you can't see what's happening? She gets him to say, this is, what, this is what's going to make me weak as any other man, which, of course, was a lie. And I don't know if he was toying with her because he realized what was going on, but he humiliated the Philistines once again. Then Delilah said to Samson, you've made a fool of me. You lied to me. <laughs> she came right out and said, look, you lied to me. How does she know? You know, you said you wouldn't be strong, and the Philistines, you beat them up just like you've always beat them up. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. Well, he says, well, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become weak as any other man. So same thing happens. She took new ropes, she tied him with them, and then with the men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, all this time, You've been making a fool of me and lying to me. And I might add in a subscript, me talking to her, and you're trying to make him be a fool. And you're trying to trick him. I don't know what it is about Samson that did not allow him to see through the subterfuge of what this woman was doing, or if in the arrogance of his own power, he felt it didn't matter. He was going to get what he wanted. She was a very attractive woman, I guess, and... He was going to get what he wanted from her, and he didn't care because he thought he was impervious, apparently. He replied to her, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with the pin. Now, I don't know how this could have happened, except perhaps maybe he'd been drinking and he was in a drunken stupor because I just can't see anybody being in a normal sleep pattern and being able to have that pulled off on him. But regardless, this is what happens. She actually weaves his hair in the fabric on a loom, and now he's attached to this loom with his hair. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke from his sleep, and he pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? 
This is the third time you made a fool of me, and I haven't, and you haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it, and he told her everything. Look, no razor has ever been used in my head because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head, or sh- if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. Now, up to this point, he has violated almost every Nazarite oath, except this. He hasn't touched the hair in his head. When Delilah saw that he told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands, and after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. And she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But, and this is the saddest sentence in this whole chapter, he did not know that the Lord had left him. This is one of the most tragic statements in the Old Testament. Samson was unaware that he had betrayed his calling. He had permitted a Philistine woman to rob him of the sign of his special consecration to the Lord. Now, he had broken every vow, Nazarite vow up to this point. There is, this is like the last straw. Then the Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes, and they took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. That's important. Now, the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. This was common practice back then, to grant the victory uh, in any battle and give that glory to the God who led them in their victory. And this is a God not just over Samson, but this this is a victory over the God of Samson, Jehovah. That's how they viewed it. So our God, Dagon, has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, They praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy to our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. I don't know what that means, except that they probably humiliated him and made fun of him, and they were having this big party. And when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now, the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. So Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel in the tomb of Manoah, his father, He had led Israel 20 years. All right. Asking God what I can pull out of this. 
tragic story. Couple things. Just a reminder that when the Nazarite vow was violated, and the and, and the way it was set out in the Old Testament was that if you violated your Nazarite vow, you shaved your head and you started over until that vow. If you were to say, I'm gonna take a 30-day period to um I'm gonna take a 30-day period a vow to honor God, a Nazarite vow. You follow all the tenets of the Nazarite vow. No women, no wine, nothing from the grape. Uh, don't cut your hair. And say in day 25, you violated that vow somehow. Well, then they'd sh- you'd shave your head and start over. And you would keep at it until you had that 30-day, if that was the period. Well, the Nazarite vow was violated time and again with his addiction, apparent addiction to wine and women. And then he cut his hair. Now that mark in ceremonially cutting his hair marked the failure of his Nazarite vow and the beginning of his new period of being under Nazarite vow. Only this time he's in prison. All right. So when the Nazarite vow was violated and the uncut hair marking special dedication to God had become defiled, that hair had to be cut off and the period of consecration started over again. So Salmon's, Salmon's, Samson's dedication and consecration to God started over when his hair was cut and he was thrown in prison. But what's different this time? What's different is that he's in a place where there's no women, there's no wine, and was absolutely humiliating. He was cut off from his people. And in many respects, he was cut off from God. He was removed, forcibly removed from all those things that had brought destruction into his life. And it was during his time in prison, and I don't know how long he was there. It doesn't say how long he was there. It doesn't say was he there several years long enough for his hair to grow out long again. It doesn't say. It just says his hair began to grow again. And then he brings him out and he calls upon God, and this is a prayer of a man who's been humbled by God. Let's look at look that prayer again. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. He was humbled. Now, I have a, a personal story that though it, it, it is not as severe as the story of Samson, but this I identified with what Samson went through. When I was a young man, when I graduated from high school, um, I had no direction. Um, and for a period of about a year, I drank like a fish. My beer bill every month was as much as my rent, if not more. Um, there was profligate living. There was, I, I was just totally untethered. No direction. And I came to my senses when I saw that I was going nowhere really fast. And I joined the Navy. Now, what happened next was I went to Navy boot camp nine to 10 weeks. 
This is at the end of the Vietnam era. And uh, there's a very real possibility that I would have been going to Vietnam to serve in the Navy. And so I'm in boot camp, though. And in boot camp, all of a sudden, I had no say over my life at all. People were shouting at me from every direction. I had to run everywhere. They yelled at me if I didn't make my bed correctly. They yelled at me if I didn't eat my food correctly in the right order with the right utensil. They yelled at me for everything. If I didn't wear my clothes correctly, if I didn't uh, have creases correctly in my in my dungarees, they yelled at me for everything. I had no choice in any aspect of my life. And it was in that nine to 10 weeks of deprivation, of having no choice, and being away from anything that I could have gotten any support from, no family, no friends, it was in this place where I discovered my absolute helplessness and where I discovered God, or was discovered by God would be a more accurate rendition. But in order for that to happen, I had to be forcibly, in a way, removed from all the things that I had been tethered to, my drinking, my drug use, um, and everything that went with that. I had to be in boot camp, and I had to have every freedom stripped away from me in order to find my true freedom in God. I kind of see that in what's happening with, with Samson. Samson um, was called of God, and but he, he spit in the face of God's calling. He defied the Nazarite vow at every step. And it wasn't until he was imprisoned, his eyes gouged out, out, gouged out where he was stripped of any title, any um, authority, he didn't even have the power of God in his life anymore. But I can imagine in that time in prison where he found God again. And his prayer at the end of this chapter is a heartfelt prayer, recognizing the sovereignty of his God and recognizing what he had forfeited as a judge of Israel by his lifestyle. Now, that's one story. There's another story. And I'm not going to betray any confidences, identities, or anything, but I have a, uh, uh, I know a young lady. We're not friends. We're acquaintances. Um, I'm friends with her family. She was a heroin addict. And when, if you were to see a picture of when she was a heroin addict, the death in her eyes, the absolute blank stare, the absolute, almost zombie-like expression on her face, and compared that with the picture of her now, vibrant, beautiful husband, dog, wonderful job, getting her grad degree, she is so totally a different person now than she was then. But in between those two periods, she had to be removed from the thing that was chaining her down, the heroin. Now, here's something that most people don't realize about addicts. 
I hear this all the time. Well, it's their choice. Well, it's their choice to a point. And then all of a sudden, whatever the addiction is, takes over and they no longer have a choice. They're a slave to that addiction. It could be food, it could be sexual addiction, drugs, alcohol, multiple types of things. But yes, you, she had a choice about heroin when she first took it. But before long, the brain chemistry kicks in, gets altered, and now she no longer had a choice. In order for her to be released from the slavery of that addiction, she had to be almost forcibly removed from that life, put in a place where she could be clean, where she could be cleansed, where she could be delivered from that awful hold that thing has on her. Samson was an addict to women and wine. That's what I get when I read his story. He could not avoid and chose not to avoid Philistine women and gets to the point where it just takes over and he's just going to do what he's going to do. And it wasn't until he was put into a Philistine prison, removed from Philistine women, removed from all the wine, where he probably only had bare prison fare of some bread and some vegetables and water, where he was finally released from that, those things. And was, I believe, restored to God. In Hebrews, he's actually counted as one of the heroes of the faith. So I believe he was restored to God. Now, first of all, God is merciful. God removed from Samson everything in order to restore Samson to the most important thing which was relationship with him. God, I believe, removed me from a small town where I was quickly becoming a drunk, where I had no support system. I had nobody. There were were people that loved me, but I was out of control. And he had to put me to a place where I had absolutely no control in order to find him. And that's exactly what happened. I found God in boot camp. My life has been irrevocably changed since then. This young lady who was a heroin addict, she quickly came to a place where she had no control over this addiction because that's what heroin does. That's what opiates do to you. And she had to be removed. She did not remove herself. She had to be removed from that situation and put into a place where she could be reco- she could recover as much as she could possibly recover from that addiction to the point where she is now full of God. And like I said, an incredible husband, dog, incredible job getting her grad degree. She is the picture of beauty and health. Samson, set aside for a special purpose from birth, spit in the face of that, followed... Philistine women, chased after Philistine women. That was his addiction. And apparently drinking. And he had to be forcibly removed from that. And with that sometimes comes humiliation, and that's what happened with him. He was humiliated. But restored by God. Now, thinking through all this stuff, I began to think of 
my friends, all my friends that I have that have dealt with addiction. And there's something called the 12-step program. I'm just going to read the first seven steps of the 12 steps. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, N.A., does this, uh, use these steps. But here's the first steps. And I see this and I can apply this to my life. And I've applied this to Samson's story in a regard. Here we go. First of all, the first step is we admit we're powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. I didn't know my life was unmanageable until any aspect of my life, control of my life was taken away from me in boot camp. This happened to Samson when he was in prison. His life had become unmanageable. And now somebody else managed him totally. He was an addict. He was a slave to that thing. We admit that we're powerless over whatever our addiction is. Two, we come to believe that a power greater than ourselves would, could restore us to sanity. All right, Samson knew what the answer was. His answer was in God. I had to come to believe that God was greater than the mess my life had turned into. And God could and did restore me to a level of sanity. Three, we have to make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. That's what's happened to Samson. Sovereign God, please restore my strength to me one last time. He wanted to glorify God and was willing to die in the attempt. We have to make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. That happened to me in boot camp. I began to realize when I had my experience with God, my face-to-face encounter with God, I saw the absolute depravity of my sin and the absolute purity of his holiness. And I realized for the first time in my life that I was due death. I did not have anything in me to pay my debt of the sin in my life. I had to make a searching and fearless moral inventory. We have to admit to God and to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. I could see that happening to Samson in prison. Removed from the women, removed from the alcohol, removed from the party lifestyle, being in a place where there was just get up, eat some probably stale bread, some water, some vegetables, go grind some grain, go lay down, go wake up, eat some bread, vegetables, water, grind some grain. All that there's time to do is to think about all the things that brought you there, Samson. All I could do in boot camp was think about all the things that brought me to that stage in my life. And finally, you know, you have to be entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of our character. I remember that moment in boot camp where I surrendered my life to him. I bowed my knee to him. And I didn't ask God to give me strength to change. I asked God to change me because I had no strength. If I could have changed me before then, I would have. But I didn't because I couldn't. I needed God to change me. I had to have God remove all the defects of character that had brought me to that place. In the last, in the seventh step, now there's 12, but I'm only going through seven. Humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Humbly is a good word here. 
you have to realize that you have no power. You cannot change. Not only that, you will not change. And you have to ask God to change you. I see all this in Samson's story. I see this as a, uh, again, my story. Remember when we were doing the tabernacle, how uh, we talked about the um, pieces of furniture in the tabernacle, and we talked about the, the laver made out of mirrors filled with water. The priests washed their hands and their feet before they could minister at the brazen altar to the non-priests, and before they could go into the tent and minister to other priests and to God. They had to wash their hands and feet of the slaver, and it was reflective in nature. That's a picture of God's Word. God's Word reflects us back to us. And I realize that sometimes maybe my the reflection of myself that I'm sharing might not make sense to some of you when compared to whatever passage of Scripture I'm reading. That would bother me if I was doing this for you, but I'm not. I'm doing this for me. And when I read through the Scripture... I have to deal with what God brings up in front of me. I have to deal with the reflection that I see of Paige. You just get to watch me go through the process. When I read the story of Samson, the reflection I get back of Paige is that if we continue to ignore areas of sinful attraction in our lives, there will come a time when that area of sinful attraction is in the driver's seat. And we're shoved over to the passenger side and we have to go wherever that thing takes us. So whether it's sexual addiction, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whatever kind of addiction there is, there will come a time when that addiction moves into the driver's seat and takes over. But until that time, you have a choice to push it to the side and push it outside of the car where it doesn't even ride with you at all. And I'm not going to list a laundry list of sins, but I'm just going to say that there are areas in my life that are sin and rebellion. And sometimes there have been times in the past where I've taken my relationship with God to for granted, to the point, to the point that I can do this because, after all, I'm God's child. I can get away with this. God will forgive me. And yeah, he will because he's that kind of God. But that's ignoring the power of sin. Even for someone called of God, sin is a snare. Look at the pastors that we heard about and read about and seen fall from grace. Look at the godly men and women who've been caught up in the sin in their lives, who've done great things for God, only to be caught up in an incredible array of sinful practices and destroyed. Samson was called of God, and his life was destroyed. He found God again at the end, and he's in the heroes of faith in Hebrews. But the reflection I'm getting back from God's word towards Paige is to make an inventory about those things in my life that could become my master if I were to let them.
until that point of becoming a slave to that sin, I have the choice to shove that sin out of my life. Take a page from Samson's life and story and take care of that area of sin, whatever it is, before you become a slave to it. My acquaintance, my friend who became a heroin addict had a choice until she didn't. And she had to be completely removed from that lifestyle and, and put in a place of recovery where she was totally removed from the life, the atmosphere, the uh, culture in order for her to recover from the slavery that that thing forced upon her. Does that make sense? All right. Well, that's the story of Samson. Um, I hope you got something from it. I know I did. That's enough for now. I'm Paige. Here's my coffee. Folks, I'm out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. So, what did you think about today's Bible devotional? Email me and let me know your thoughts at ffog at me.com.